John 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two brothers who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these." And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Last week I heard one of my sons on the back deck and he he yelled out and he said, Dad, you have to come see this. Dad. You have to come see this. Now, I have to admit, in my house, when I hear those words, there's a little adrenaline that starts pumping through my veins. There's a little bit of increase of heart rate and blood pressure because when my boys say, Dad, you have to come see this, who knows what I'm going to see when I get there? I mean, sometimes it could be something, you know, not dangerous or disturbing at all. It may just be the most incredible Lego, uh, Lego creation that they have made. It could be that my two younger sons have been working in their room all day long to create this Lego castle set up with armies fighting each other. And they just want to say, Dad, can you come experience this incredible thing with us? Dad, you have to come see this. Or it could be that our dog, Moose, has gotten another one of the down pillows off the couch, chewed it open, and there are feathers all over the house. Dad, you have to come see this. Or it could be that Tucker, while playing the Wii video game, has once again accidentally thrown the remote at the flat screen TV and shattered it for the third time. Dad, you have to come see this. Because that phrase, Dad, you have to come see this, means so many different things. It means, Dad, 
I don't have words to describe this incredible thing I'm looking at. You have to come see this. It means, Dad, if I told you about this later, you would never believe me. You have to come see this. It means, Dad, I am looking at something so incredible. I want to experience it with you. You have to come see this. The other night when Wyatt yelled from the back deck, Dad, you have to come see this. He was out in bare feet and had accidentally stepped on a tree frog which was now oozing up from between his toes. Dad, you have to come see this. You never know what's going to be on the other side of that statement. Well, likewise, this morning, as we look in this scripture passage, we're going to see a phrase very similar to, Dad, you have to come see this. And we're going to see a phrase, come and see. Come and see. This word to see in the Greek language can mean to think, to examine, to perceive, to experience. It can mean many things. And this phrase in our passage, come and see, is going to mean multiple things for us this morning. And I'd like to consider the different ways that this phrase, come and see, invites us onto a journey, invites us into this calling that Jesus has given us. Dad, you have to come see this. Come and see So let's do, as I believe this this writer of John, this first chapter in in John, the gospel writer, is, is not just saying that Jesus invited some of the disciples, as he did in verse 38 or 39, come and see. It's not just when Philip talks to his friend Nathaniel and says, come and see. I think the gospel writer John is asking all of us to open up God's word, all of us to read the account of Jesus Christ and come and see for ourselves who this Jesus is. And like I said, this phrase can mean many things. And I think one of the things that it can mean this morning for us is come and consider. Come and consider the evidence. Come and see for yourself. My family at night, we're watching a TV show right now. Uh, It's an older show. It's been discontinued, but it's called Monk. It's about a detective who has um, obsessive compulsive disorder. And he sort of sees the world a little differently than everybody else. He can see details and evidence that no one else can see. And he, he shows up on the crime scene. And he sort of starts going like this around the room. And he sort of starts looking at all the evidence and he he sees things that the other police officers don't see. And then he, he sort of shares the whole scenario with everybody. Here's what happened. He looks at the evidence and he sees for himself what has taken place. And here is we're invited to come and consider where we're invited to turn our brains on to open our eyes, to see for ourselves this account of Jesus Christ and consider, could this really be Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? I think we see this idea two times in our passage. The first time we see it, uh, Jesus is walking by John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been preparing the way for Jesus. And as Jesus walks by, John the Baptist sees him and says, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Two of John the Baptist's disciples. One we know, Andrew. The other, I think, is probably John, the gospel writer. Andrew and John go, all right, John the Baptist, you've been telling us that one would come. You've been telling us that the Messiah would be here. And you're saying that there is the Lamb of God. And so they leave John the Baptist and they start following Jesus. And as they're following Jesus, Jesus turns around to them and he says, what are you seeking? I think it's a wonderful question. One that we could even ask ourselves. What are you seeking? You see, there are many around Jesus that are seeking the wrong thing. There are many that are coming to follow Jesus because they think he'll become their king. He think they think he'll rule politically in their land. Or they think he'll become a, a warrior that will fight and get rid of the oppressors. He'll change their financial and their social status there in first century Israel. Yes, there are many that are following Jesus for all different reasons. But Jesus turns to them and says, what are you seeking And the two disciples, Andrew and John, they turn to Jesus and they say something that doesn't maybe make a lot of sense to us. It says, Rabbi, where are you staying? You see, in this time, rabbis had students, teachers had students, and these students were all in. They lived with their rabbi, they ate with their rabbi. Wherever their rabbi walked, they walked. Wherever their rabbi sat, they sat. Whoever their rabbi talked to, they talked to. And so as Jesus says, what are you seeking? These two disciples turn to Jesus and they say, where do you live? We want to follow you. We're all in. And Jesus turns to them. And he doesn't say, hey, you have to, I got to make sure that you believe everything. He doesn't say, hey, sign on the dotted line. I want to make sure you know exactly who I am. He doesn't say, that's fine, but I want to make sure that I'm going to get complete obedience out of you right away. I want you to make sure you know what you're doing. No, he just turns to them and he says, okay, come and see. He invites them in. He says, come, turn your brains on. Come and consider my life. Come and consider my way. Come and see who I am for yourself. Come and consider if I am the one that John the Baptist says that I am. I think we see this same invitation when Philip, who has encountered Jesus Christ, meets his friend Nathaniel, and Philip says, Nathaniel, we found him. We found the one that the prophets and the law speak of. We found our Messiah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel asks a really good question. Nathaniel says, Of Nazareth? Nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. See, this question sort of had two parts to it. The first is, is literally nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. It was not a place where people looked up to. In fact, the name Nazareth means a a useless pile of sticks. What town do you live in? Oh, I live in the useless pile of sticks town. Nothing good came out of Nazareth. But theologically, Nathaniel's a student of scripture. He knows that the Messiah is to come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. So he looks at his friend Philip and he says, Nazareth? The Messiah is not supposed to come from Nazareth? And Philip in this moment, I don't know if he knows the right answer. He's not really sure how to answer that question. And he doesn't say to his friend Nathaniel, shh, don't ask the hard questions. He doesn't say to his friend Nathaniel, shh. 
we don't ask, we just go blindly and turn your brain off and we're going to go follow Jesus. No, he says to his friend, he says, come and see. Come and consider. Turn your brain on. Ask your questions. Bring your doubts. Come and see for yourself. Examine the evidence. And you will see if Jesus really is who he says he is. And so when John invites us in this first chapter to come and see, he says, come and consider. Come and consider if Jesus really is who he says that he is. But I think John also wants us to come for another reason. I think this phrase, come and see, can also mean come and be known. Come and be known. Don't we want to be known? Isn't it in the core of our humanness to want to be known? Because when we're known, we feel loved. It could be as simple as our coworker leaves our favorite candy bar on our desk on our birthday. We show up on our birthday, and there on a desk is a note from a coworker that says, Happy birthday, and it's got a Twix bar. And we just go, They know me. They know I love that Twix bar. And we feel loved. Or when we're having a bad day and our spouse or our friend or somebody from our small group shows up with our favorite drink from Starbucks. I mean, the drink tastes great, but what's even better is we feel known by our friend. They knew we were having a rough day. They knew we needed a pick-me-up and they went to Starbucks and got our favorite white chocolate mocha drink that just warmed up our souls because in that moment we were known in our house, we have a tradition on our birthdays. It's called a birthday surprise ball. I think my mother-in-law invented this. We keep the surprise going. I've got a picture of Tucker, one of his birthdays, with a surprise ball. My oldest son, Hudson, always makes silly faces in the background. Um, but anyway, that sort of yellow ball in front of Tucker is something in our house we call a surprise ball. It is simply this. It's streamer paper. It's uh, those long strips of tissue paper that you hang in your house to decorate for birthdays. And you start with, uh, if it's your fifth birthday, it's $5 in the middle. If it's your 44th birthday, you start with $44 in the middle. And who's ever making it just starts wrapping. And as they wrap, they just add little gifts. Little gifts that say, we know you. Your favorite candy. Your favorite drink. A keychain from your favorite sports team. Or a little mini Lego set from the favorite book that you're reading. Something that as you unwrap this surprise ball, it's not so much about the little presents that fall out as you get to the cash on the inside. But as you unwrap it, you look at all these little things and you go, my family gets me. My family knows me. My family loves me. And I think this invitation, come and see, is an invitation, come and be known. You see, Nathaniel listens to his friend Philip, and he goes to follow Jesus, and he starts walking towards Jesus. And as Nathaniel approaches Jesus, Jesus says, Hey, Nathaniel, an Israelite with no deceit in him. And Nathaniel, you can tell he, he feels known. That's right. It's me, Nathaniel Jesus. How'd you know my name? I am a man with no deceit. I am a good guy. Oh, Jesus, it feels so good to be known by you. But, but how did you know me, Jesus? 
And Jesus says, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, in this moment, we don't really know what happened under the fig tree. I don't think we'll ever know what exactly happened under the fig tree. But something happened because when Jesus says, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel's eyes get as big as dinner plates and he drops to his knees and he says, Surely you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Now, when I'm coming to church on a Sunday and someone comes up to me and says, Rich, I saw your family walking on Duke of Gloucester Street the other day. I don't fall down at their knees and say, Oh my goodness, surely you must be the Son of God. When I go up to my friends and I say, Hey Dave, I I saw you yesterday. You were walking into Chick-fil-A to get a sandwich or something. Dave doesn't fall down at my feet and go, Oh Rich, you must be the Son of God. Because something that happened under that fig tree was something that only Nathaniel knew about. I think it was something private. I think it was something embarrassing. I think it was something even shameful. I think it was something that Nathaniel hoped no one would ever know about. I think it was one of those things in our lives that we hold on to that we go, if people knew I did this or thought that, they may not love me anymore. But Jesus looks at Nathanael and says, oh, I know you. I know every part of you. But remember, he called him the Israelite with no deceit. In that moment, I think Nathanael felt so known and loved. He felt so known that even in the depth of who he was, not just the good things about him, but the bad things about him, Jesus was the Lamb of God, the one who was willing to go to the cross and shed his blood for this man, Nathaniel. And no matter what we have in our life, no matter what dark secret we hope nobody ever finds out about because they may not like us, we know that Jesus knows every part of it. And he says, and I'm going to die so that you can have life. I'm going to lay down my life for yours because I love you that much. Yes, when John asks us all to come and see, it's an invitation to come and be known, every bit of us, and to become and be loved. And so this invitation to come and see is an invitation to come and consider. It's an invitation to come and be known. I think it's also an invitation to come and obey. Now, very basically, we can see in our passage this call to obedience. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me means Jesus is in the lead and we're walking behind him. Right? Follow me implies we're obeying Jesus. When Jesus meets Simon, he says, hey, Simon... I know your name's Simon, but we're going to call you Peter from now on. I'm going to change who you are. Your identity is different in me because there's complete obedience in following Jesus. But I think a more subtle way for us that we may discover this reality is when we look in verse 51. In verse 51, Jesus speaks and he says, he begins with these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, Now, these words, when we read them, don't really mean much to us. Truly, truly, I say to you. It's in the King James, if you grew up reading that, maybe. Verily, 
verily I say to you. These are not words we go around speaking. We don't go to our kids, hey, verily, verily, I say to you, please eat your carrots. We don't use these words. The exact words in Greek would be, amen, amen, I say to you. And even when we hear those words, amen, amen, I say to you, it doesn't really do much for us. But for these disciples, they understood the construction that Jesus was creating. You see, they understood what happened in a local synagogue. In synagogues that day when the Jews came to worship, they would grab the scrolls from the front of the room, the scrolls on which were written the, the law and the prophets, and they would pass them out to the people. And the people would grab the scrolls and, and read a section of it, maybe from Isaiah, maybe from Jeremiah, maybe from Exodus. They would read a section of the scroll and then they would teach about this section. They would say, this is what this means for all of us. And when they were done teaching, they would turn to the leaders of the synagogue, the elders, and the elders would think for a minute and then they'd say, amen, amen. In other words, it was a stamp of approval, a stamp of acceptance a stamp of affirmation that the elders of the synagogue would say, yep, that's true. What he says is true. But you see, when Jesus speaks, he starts with the words, amen, amen. When Jesus speaks, he says, I'm not going to give you a choice later to decide whether these words are right or good or true or not, because I'm telling you they are from the beginning. So when Jesus speaks, he says, amen, amen, I say to you. When Jesus speaks, he says, I affirm this, I approve this, I accept this, and you have no say in it. This is what I'm saying to you. See, sometimes I think we open up God's word, we read through scripture with our rubber stamp of approval, and we go, oh, I like that part. I'll skip over that section. I like that part. Nah, that one doesn't really work for me. Ooh, amen, amen on that one. Not that one. And all we're doing in that moment is we're creating a Jesus in our image instead of letting Jesus create us in his. Let me say that again. All we're doing when we do that is we're creating a Jesus that's made in our image instead of Jesus making us into his. And the problem with that is when we hit obstacles in our life, when we hit hard things that are in front of us in our life, and we go to lean on that Jesus, we go to lean on that faith, if we've built it in our image, it's just going to crumble. But if we have built our faith on the obedience of following Jesus Christ and what he says is right and good and true, then that faith stands and it carries us through. You know, when John says, come and see, he says, come and obey. Jesus is the one who gets to say, amen, amen, I say to you. There was a great question in the beginning. A great question when Jesus turned to Andrew and John. He turned to them and he said, what are you seeking? Good question for all of us. What are you seeking? Are you seeking forgiveness? Are you looking for hope? 
Are you seeking to break out of the sin that is wrecking your life in the lives of those around you? Are you seeking meaning or purpose? Are you seeking to see relationships in your life made whole and reconciled again? Are you seeking life? Because John invites us. Jesus invites us, come and see Come and consider. Bring your brain on. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. Bring all these things you're thinking through. Come and see. And come and be known. In the depth of your sin and your brokenness. Come to Jesus. Be known and be loved. And come and obey. Surrender to him. Let him lead. Let him decide what is amen and amen. And not you. And I know that the invitation says we will then find life. Will you come and see?